The John Morris Show, episode 54. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You are now listening to The John Morris Show. My name is John Morris, Army veteran turned freelance web developer. And each week I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice, and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. Today's episode is brought to you by Ebates, where you can earn cash back on your online purchases from major retailers like Amazon, eBay, Walmart.com, and more. John Morris Show listeners can get your free account by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash ebates. Welcome back, everybody, to the John Morris Show. I am John Morris from johnmorrisonline.com. What a week. It's getting close to Christmas time. I think everybody's getting a little excited or whatever holiday you happen to celebrate this time of year. Kids are going to be out of school soon. I'm going on a little vacay starting here shortly, so... Got a good show for you today. Got a lot of things that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the new release of PHP 7. We're going to talk a little mindset stuff again. Get a little intellectual, I guess. Got uh, some MVC talk. We'll be going through a little bit. Writing your Upwork service descriptions. And then, of course, as always, our Q&A. But I want to start off the show talking about something negative. Now, I know that in today's or this day and age, it's not cool to talk about negative things. We're all supposed to just remain constantly positive in the face of everything. But I don't, in particular, have a problem talking about negative things. I think, you know, sometimes negative things happen. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes you just don't feel good a day or a week or a time of year, whatever it is. And it's okay to talk about those things. It's okay to focus on those things and look at them. In fact, focusing on or taking a look at, being willing to think about and talk about, and then ultimately eliminate negative things from your life is in my mind one of the most beneficial things that you can do. In fact, and this is a tip for you freelancers out there or people who are into maybe selling yourself in a job interview or whatever. If you're doing any sort of selling of yourself or your products or whatever, this is a good tip for you. But eliminating a negative from someone's life can oftentimes be a lot more powerful than providing them with some sort of benefit. So it's okay to talk about negative things. And that's what I want to start off the show with. And interestingly enough, I want to talk about what I perceive to be a lot of negativity in the web dev community as of late. Now, I know this seems weird because I just talked about the fact that it's okay to be negative or to talk about negative things, 
but there's some irrational negativity that I'm seeing. Now, doing what I do, I tend to always get what I would call hate mail. It's something, I mean, probably every day I get at least one or two pieces of hate mail. Now, I know why that is. I sell stuff. People in this community seem to still have a problem with individuals who sell things related to code. It's getting better. Trust me, it's gotten a lot better in the 10 or 11 years that I've been doing this. But it's still out there quite a bit. So I, I sell stuff. And so I get I get hate mail most of the time about that. Although the truth is I get probably five or ten times more positive feedback, even about the things that I promote and sell, than I do the negative stuff. So it more than balances out. But you always get people who have some something super negative to say. Usually it's you know, if that the stuff that they say were broadcast out to the internet, they'd be pretty embarrassed. Uh, but that's not something I do. At least uh, I don't put names on things and try to embarrass people specifically. So I always get hate mail. You know, I experience this on a regular basis, but uh, it's really kind of I've seen it going beyond that. I see it, it and it's not necessarily some of it's my stuff, but some of it's just other people's stuff. An example would be someone who I think probably the most annoying thing to me is someone who jumps in on someone else's tutorial, whether it's a written tutorial or YouTube video or whatever it is, and goes through this litany of reasons why that tutorial sucks and basically just rips the author up one side and down the other. And then you go to that person's YouTube channel, their profile, or whatever, and they've literally created nothing of their own. How easy is that? To just sit back and be critical of the actual things that other people are producing and produce nothing of value yourself. What's what's the point of that? Is that trying to make yourself feel better? Is that what it is? I mean, why not at the very least provide something constructive? If you if you have a problem, it's okay to have a problem with a tutorial or something that somebody else creates, the code that they write, whatever. That's fine, but why not at least be constructive about it instead of just telling the author, the creator, how stupid they are? It, just, it makes no sense to me. Or, better yet, if you don't like the stuff that someone else is producing, why not produce something of your own? Why not actually put the, yourself out there? Now, I know the answer to that because it's not easy to do. You realize when you sit down to actually produce something of your own that it's a lot more difficult than you make it out to be when you're writing your critique. Now, my kids are big uh, fans of animated movies. And Davin, when he was a little bit younger, he really he loved the Ratatouille movie. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's about this rat who somehow learns how to cook and becomes like 
the greatest chef in France or whatever. It's a simplified version of the story, but he loved that movie and he'd watch it over and over and over again. And so I've seen that movie quite a few times. Now, it's been a while since I've seen it last, but I have seen it several times. And there was one point, as someone who creates things, you know, YouTube videos, tutorials, podcasts, but also code, websites, and so forth, there was a part in the movie that really stuck out to me. And it was uh, Anton Ego, who was a critic, a food critic, had visited the restaurant where this rat had started cooking because... Everybody was saying how the food had got so much better and so forth. And so he went to, to do a review. And he, the chef that had owned it uh, but died, he didn't like that chef because uh, I don't want to get into the whole story. But he was going in wanting to, thinking he was going to be giving a bad critique. And he ended up tasting the food and it was amazing. And he wanted to meet the chef. Well, the chef was the rat, right? So the people running the restaurant didn't want to have the rat meet the the critic and so eventually it happens where the rat comes out the critic is like Anton Ego's like what and he everything gets explained and the rat shows him that he can cook and it's this whole kind of big part of the scene where the the rat kind of comes into his own or whatever so he writes his review And what he said in his review, I think, applies to this situation. And so I'm just going to read the first part of it. I know this is a kid's movie, but I really think this has practical applications uh, when thinking about this kind of stuff. So he says, in many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. And I couldn't agree more. Know that if you're someone who just goes around, I've seen people who do this, by the way. I've had people who comment negatively on my stuff, and I'm like, what is going on? So I maybe go to to their Google Plus page or their YouTube channel and see the posts that they're making, and they'll have every post on there is them going after some YouTube creator or you know some tutorial or something, posting negative things about it. Now, I know that's not everybody, but if that's you, know that no matter how terrible the code or the video or the product that person is creating is, it could be horrible. It's still more valuable than all of your critiques of it combined. Because they're actually putting themselves out there and trying to produce something of value. So what's the point of all this? I think, I think it's a destructive mindset. And I think we do it to ourselves. Let, in a way, I'm doing it right now. In a way, maybe I'm being part of the problem. Maybe I am. In critiquing the critic, maybe I'm being part of the problem. Because I think us web developers do it to ourselves. We get so critical of one another. This is how it should be done. No, this is how it should be done. No, this is how it should be done. That everybody's scared to death to be creative. Guess what? Being creative involves failing. Failing. 
And if every time you fail, you have someone standing over top of you saying, ha ha, I told you so, it makes it harder to be creative the next time, doesn't it? So why do we do that to each other? Maybe it is because it's fun to write and to read. Maybe that is why we do it. But know that if you're out there doing that, that all of it combined, it it ultimately means nothing. That the person actually producing something, no matter how bad it is, their one little piece of junk is more valuable than all your criticism combined. And the flip side of that is if you're going to be a web developer and you're going to choose this path, know that that's out there. And you got to have some thick skin. you got to be able to, to work through it. I mean, again, I get hate mail every day. I get people who comment on YouTube videos saying this, that, the other day. And again, I get a bunch of positive stuff too. But both, you, you can never take it too seriously. You, all have, you have to take it all with a grain of salt, both the praise and the criticism. And you have to have some thick skin. And you have to know who you are and what you stand for and just continue down that path that you know is the right path for you. All right, so like I said, I got a good sh- good show for you today. We got a bunch of things coming up in the next segments. Coming up next, we'll be talking the release of PHP 7, some of the new features and what you can look forward to as that rolls out. You're listening to the John Morris show, johnmorrisonline.com. John Morris here for the complete web developer course by Rob Percival on Udemy.com. Now here's the deal with this. Do you ever get frustrated constantly searching the internet for tutorials to learn how to code? Are you worried that learning how to code is taking longer than it should? Do you just wish you could learn everything in one convenient place so you can get on with earning your living as a web developer? Well, that is exactly why Rob created the Complete Web Developer Course. Everything you need to know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps in one convenient course. And you know it works because Rob has over 183,000 students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy. Now, here's the best part. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive, and this is just for you guys only, an exclusive 85% discount on the course simply by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. So look, quit pulling your hair out trying to find good tutorials on the web. Do the smart thing and hit up my man Rob's complete web developer course with the slick 85% discount right now. Visit johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc and you'll be all set. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris. This segment, we're going to be talking about the release of PHP 7. So if you haven't heard, the uh, PHP 7 has officially been released as of a few days ago. And I want to run through some of the uh, new features of PHP 7 and then maybe point out some of the ones that that stick out to me and then what it's going to look like going forward from here. If this is your first time going through a major PHP release, then you may not be 100% familiar with how this works. Hopefully, it's a little more smooth and quick than what it was 
from PHP 4 to PHP 5. All right, so let's start off with some of the features. So probably the biggest feature, the most touted feature, the most important one, the one I'm looking most forward to is improved performance. So uh, they're saying that PHP 7 is up to twice as fast as PHP 5.6. I've seen some people say that uh, when running WordPress and some benchmarks, they've even got it as much as three times faster. Now, this is a big thing for those of us who run PHP websites. Maybe it's a WordPress website, whatever it is. This is a big deal because speed is becoming so much more important. And I mean, there's been times where I've thought, you know, I've created HTML websites without any PHP or I've really considered turning my, my website into that just, just because of the speed factor. And so I'm really interested to see how this shakes out and how much faster my websites and the websites that I work on are going to be with this speed improvement. So excited to see that. Uh, significantly reduced memory usage. Uh, a cool thing, you can define array constants. So using the define method where you could define constants in PHP, you can now actually create arrays with that, which is pretty cool. Anonymous classes, abstract syntax tree, consistent 64-bit support, an improved exception hierarchy. Uh, many fatal errors have been converted to exceptions. A secure random number generator, which is pretty cool. Removed old and unsupported APIs and extensions. The null coalescing operator, which is, uh, again, kind of a handy little thing. It's not necessarily this huge improvement, but it's a handy thing. Spaceship operator, the return and scalar type declarations, and zero cost asserts. So to me, uh, again, the speed improvements is probably one of the, the bigger things, the, the reduced memory usage, and then just a, a bunch of handy little things, the array constants, the anonymous classes, uh, the random number generator, the coalescing operator, the spaceship operator, all those things are just kind of little handy little things that have been added to PHP 7 that are going to make your life a little bit easier. Now, I'm planning uh, in my tech tutorials, right? You're listening to the podcast. I also do tech tutorials generally every week. In my tech tutorials, I'm planning on going through some of these features and actually showing you exactly what they are and, and how to use them. I don't have any of those up yet, but that is definitely um, planned. Now, if you've never been through a release of PHP 4 before, uh, you you know you could be super excited. PHP 7's released. Everybody, all the servers are going to upgrade immediately. I'll be able to start using this right away. Eh, that's not necessarily <laughs> exactly how it works. Now, I'm hoping that this release cycle is a lot better than what we saw with uh, the move from PHP 4 to PHP 5. But in that move, that particular move, it took, I don't know the, ex it was years though, it was a long time for the majority of servers to be upgraded from PHP 4 to PHP 5. Just a lot of host web hosts just hung on to PHP 4, even though PHP 5 was so much better. Uh, and so, you know, it really comes down to your web host and how quickly they decide they want to upgrade their servers. Now, that said, th there was a lot of backlash 
when that happened. I mean, a lot of people have made a big deal about that move from PHP 4 to PHP 5 and how long it took and how web hosts really drug their feet uh, in doing that. And so I don't see web hosts holding out like they did before. I don't I don't see that. Ha- I mean, I think, gosh, GoDaddy was on PHP 4 for a while after most everybody else had upgraded, if I remember correctly. I got lucky. I happened to be on a web host who gave you the option. It was kind of nice. And I don't, I've always been on this web host, so I don't know if this is the way other web hosts do it, but you had an option for a particular site. It defaulted to PHP 4 for a while, and then you could choose to to turn on PHP 5, and then after a while it just defaulted to PHP 5, and you could revert it back to PHP 4, and then after another little while that option to go back to PHP 4 just went away. And so, and then they actually went into the minor versions of PHP it was like 5.1, 5.2, etc. So, and you could just kind of upgrade it as you saw fit. So, uh, I imagine my web host would do that same thing. Hopefully, other web hosts would do something similar. It helps really ease the transition so that when you're ready to run PHP 7 on a particular site, you can just make a simple change and uh, it'll it'll work. So, but. Again, if you've never been through this, it's probably going to take a little bit for most web hosts to upgrade and offer PHP 7 simply because, you know, they've, they've got to do all their stuff for supporting it and so forth. And, you know, they're, they're big monolithic type companies usually that don't like change. So, uh, it could take a while, but hopefully yours gets upgraded pretty soon. So, that's what's coming in. That's probably the big news that's out right now. That's what's coming up next in PHP. It's going to be interesting to uh, you know start working with it more as it becomes more a part of you know the different applications and so forth. And that's the other thing you have to consider too is it's not just the web servers that you have to worry about or the web hosts that you have to worry about. It's also the applications that you run, want to run. Now, I was reading somewhere that uh, WordPress has already started making changes or made the changes to be able to support PHP 7. So that's one of the big ones out there. I assume the other ones, uh, the other major CMSs and uh, software and stuff out there are going to do the same thing. But that's something to keep in mind if you're maybe running a app- an application that is less popular. You know, Maybe it's a an application that you got from you know, a vendor who's not this big, huge company, then you want to run PHP 7 on your site, probably primarily for the improved performance, then you want to make sure that that vendor has looked through their application. And it might take a while for them to to update. It might be a single developer and they've got to go through all their code and make sure everything's uh, compatible and so forth. So, Lots of considerations. Hopefully this release cycle goes a lot better. We get uh, everybody upgraded to PHP 7 more quickly and more efficiently, and we can all reap the benefits. All right, coming up in the next segment, we're going to be talking uh, some mindset stuff. So we're going to be diving into what I think is, again, a destructive mindset, a mindset that I'm seeing more and more of. It really kind of relates to my opening a little bit. Uh, but I think it really holds developers back. I, I get this a lot. I get emails with this. I can, you can see this sort of mindset. 
And I really, honestly, I it, it sounds maybe condescending, but I feel bad because, you know, until it doesn't matter what code you learn until you get over the mindset, it, it's nothing's going to happen. You're, you're going to struggle to have success. And so we're going to talk about that in the next segment. Of course, coming up later, we have uh, be talking about the MVC design pattern, going into that a little bit, talking about writing your service description on Upwork, and of course, our Q&A. You're listening to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer. But your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than 6 bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com slash bluehost. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I'm your host, John Morris. In this segment, we're going to be talking about a mindset that I'm seeing a little bit more and more of and that I think is really, really destructive. I know, I mean, I can just tell you straight up, I get people who approach me with this mindset and it really turns me off. So (laughs) if you're someone who's trying to contact me and uh, get in touch with me and you're doing this, then know that uh, I'm not very likely to get back to you when this is the approach that you take. Now, hey, you, you may say, who cares? Who, who Forget that guy. And that, and that's fine. But I, I would say that most of the people that you're going to try to contact, if you do it in this way, you're going to have problems getting in, in, in contact with. Because it's really off-putting. Uh, and I think for you, uh, it can be really, really limiting. And so what's the mindset? Well, it's this mindset of entitlement. Now, I know this is this is something that people talk about politically and tend to have beliefs based on what your, your political orientation is uh, uh, about this. I'm not necessarily really talking about that. I mean, obviously it all goes hand in hand, but it's, it's this it's this mentality that you are owed being a successful web developer. That you know, the instructor of a course or the operator of a YouTube channel or the writer of a tutorial or a client on say Upwork owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything. You're not you're not owed a single thing in this world. Everything that you want, you've got to go and get and earn. Now, why is this such a destructive mindset? Because what it leads to is people it's this it's the waiting for Godot syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of that saying, but it's this idea that you're going to kind of sit and wait around for people to give you, you the things that you believe that you're owed. And so it leads to inaction. And uh, there's nothing, you're not going to get anywhere if if you're not taking action, A. And B, this is hard work. Don't, I mean, don't let people fool you. It's fun if you enjoy writing code then it doesn't necessarily seem like work, but 
it's it's a lot of work. It's not easy, especially the learning part of web development. Learning the things that you need to learn, especially at the beginning, can be very, very difficult. And so it takes a lot of really intense, hard action in order to get where you want to get. So if you have this mentality that you're owed this stuff and you sit around waiting for people to give it to you, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to get the success that you're after. And it's easy to point at other people and tell them what they did wrong, why they didn't uh, come through for you, why they didn't give you what you thought you were owed. But at the end of the day, you'll be the one that suffers. You'll be the one that loses out because you'll be the one who doesn't get what they're after. And so again, I think it's just a very, very dangerous mindset. And I get this a lot. I get a good number of emails from people who, you know, it's not that they're bad people or anything. That's not what I'm saying. It's just you can tell the approach that they're taking. I'll I'll have people who email me and demand that I do XYZ for them. Or they'll leave a YouTube content and demand that I do, you know, these things for them. And don't, you know, don't take any time to to ask or to uh, you know, maybe try and strike up a conversation or simply offer anything in return. They just demand that I give them these things, whether it's you know some sort of training or it's working with them. I get a lot of people who tell me that I just need to work with them one-on-one and answer all of them their questions and give up all of my time to make sure that they get where they the answers that they're after. Now, I know it's a fine line because I put myself out there. I do these podcasts, I, but you know, this is the way that I try to help because it's the way I can have the most impact. Me sitting around answering questions via email one-on-one, if I did that, I would literally never put out any content on YouTube or on my website or anything like that. I would never do anything else. I I wouldn't even have time for clients if I did that because I get so many questions uh, and a good chunk of them people simply demanding that I answer them. So... Again, if if you're someone who's done that or, you know, ha- have ever got thought of getting in contact with someone who's out there teaching and doing tutorials and so forth, know that for I know for me, in most cases, I read the email and then I, I usually just delete it and move on. I don't I used to respond and explain that, hey, but it, it just it takes up so much time that it's not it's just not worth it anymore. So most of the time I just de- delete the email and move on. And I'm going to guess that most of the people that are out there uh doing this kind of thing, that's going to be the way that they approach it. They're just going to delete it and move on. So you know, it's not just uh hey, this is good for me because I get a lot of these types of emails. If you actually want to get someone to help you, I've had people who've written me before and taken the time to you know, try try to strike up a conversation or offer something in return or whatever it is. And I've had no problem helping them out and, and giving them the answers that they were after simply because of the approach. Now, you could say that I'm a jerk because of that. But at the end of the day, it's my life. It's my business. So it's my way. I, I recently heard that at the, a conference I was at. And 
I really like that. And for you, it's your business or it's your life. It's your business. It's your way. Uh, and so you can take, take that approach with the stuff that you do, but no, this is, this is my time. I I get to spend it how I want to spend it. So I don't owe uh, anybody anything. And you know, you don't owe anybody anything and nobody owes you anything. If you want something, you need to go out and get it. And you, you know, you, if you, if you need help from somebody, simply being nice about it or offer something in return, maybe you could do something for them. Usually that's the, if you want a, a secret to how you can kind of get in with someone who has the experience that you're after, don't, don't go to them initially with your hand out, go to them with your hand with something instead of asking them to do something for you. Ask them to let you do something for them. And then on the back end of that, then you can probably, after you've delivered for them, you can probably get a thing or two or ask a question or two or whatever it is uh, in order to, and they'll be more receptive to that because you've done something for them. So don't go to people asking, always on the take, always thinking they owe you something. Try to give something. Maybe it's just simply your time, or your you know your energy, your 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 physical work. You know, maybe that's what you can give them. Maybe it's not necessarily knowledge in any sense, but you can give them time, or you can give them your your work. Uh, and again, oftentimes they'll be open to that, and they'll be willing to help you out on the back end. They'll feel almost like they should. So. You know, again, I don't want to read on and on too much about this. This kind of ties into what I started off at the beginning. Maybe it's just this time of year. I don't know. Everybody is so negative. But uh, I've seen a lot of this, and I do really think it is destructive. I know this maybe sounds self-serving from my end, but like I said, I really just kind of feel bad for the people that do that because my guess is a year from now, if that doesn't change, they're going to be really no further along than they are now. That that mindset is the first thing that has to change. That nobody owes you anything. That you have to go and get everything that you want. And if you need help from from somebody, you have to be willing to do something in return to 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 help them out in some way or to give them something back that's going to make them want to uh, help you. So if you have that mindset, consider consider really digging into that and asking yourself why. And how it's really serving you and and hopefully understanding that it's not and what you can do to change it. All right, coming up in our next segment, we're going to be talking MVC. We also, later on in the show, we're going to be talking writing your service description on Upwork. And of course, as always, our weekly Q&A. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. So I just realized something. I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, don't worry because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's going to help you attract new clients for your web design business. 
In order to take this tutorial, you want to head on over to johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Again, that's johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about the MVC design pattern. We're going to talk about a little bit about why you want to use a pattern in the first place. We'll talk a little bit about my personal experience before and after using design patterns. Also talk about what MVC is and how you can implement it. Uh, and then some further research that you can do in order to get even better. So, and actually, if you want to talk about uh, negativity and mindset, when I was doing the research for this, because you know I know what I know about particular topics, but before I come on here and deliver a podcast to you, I always do research to look for things that maybe I hadn't thought of or, or didn't know, etc. So I always research every topic. So when I was doing the research for this topic, oh my gosh, you want to talk about bickering back and forth about what MVC is, and what MVC isn't. Apparently, if you ask a thousand different people, you get a thousand different answers because there, I couldn't find two people that agreed on on the whole idea of MVC. So I'm going to give you my opinion. You may be that person who's the MVC head that is going to, everything I say, you're going to say I'm an idiot. So be it. Uh, this is the approach that I used. It's worked well for me. Uh, and when I use MVC as more of a organizing principle, and I know there, there are definitely guidelines for implementation. I get that. But I'm definitely not as strict with it as some people would be. Maybe to my detriment, but I'm okay with that. Like I said, my life, my business, my way. So let's talk a little bit about why you would want to use a pattern in the first place. So my personal experience, this was a this was a light bulb moment for me when I was actually handed a book. Uh, there's design patterns. I'll have the exact name on the show notes page. And you can get, I'm going to include all the links to everything I'm going to talk about here because I'm going to talk uh point you to some resources regarding uh, MVC, but you can get all those links and everything over at johnmorrisonline.com slash 54. That's the show notes page for this episode. You'll be able to find all those links, but uh, I was handed a book by somebody and it was design patterns, uh, application design patterns, and I'd never heard of the concept before. I, I can admit that I'd really never heard of much about it. And so I started reading it and it was a light bulb moment for me because before that I used to write and I've written a number of WordPress plugins, applications of my own and so forth. And every single one of them I used to write differently. It was really based off of my whim at that particular moment, how I felt like writing the code. And I was, tr I was trying to get better. So every application I would try a different way, a different, you know, a different approach to writing it to see if it would work better for me and you know I ended up or I always ended up hating the applications that I wrote shortly after that and now I know why and we'll get into that here in a little bit but I always ended up hating them and you know every application that I had written always had a different style to it and so it became uh, quite a thing and it was pretty annoying and so Again, there was really just no rhyme or reason to the way I was writing the applications I was writing. And so 
I was handed that book. I read about design patterns. It talks about more than just uh, MVC and so forth. There's a number of them in there. And there's all sorts of patterns out there that you can use. MVC isn't the only one. It just seems to be kind of the more popular one right now. But what patterns do is they, they, uh, they alleviate all of those issues by giving you a principle to organize around. And very often, and I would say most cases, they give you actual guidelines for implementation. Now, I say that in a very, very specific way because, again, people bicker back and forth about exactly what design patterns are. So this is my definition of a design pattern. It's a principle to organize around and guidelines for implementation. So uh, what they really do is they give you a framework for writing your code. They give you a direction. You, you have an organizing principle, which is, you know, again, MVC, it's kind of embedded into the name model view controller. So it's a, it's an organizing principle. And then, you know, the people who, who use it over and over again start to develop guidelines for how you can actually achieve that organizing principle. So the benefits then of using a design pattern is you get a consistent style across applications. So because you're following a pat the same pattern with every application you write, you have a consistent style. This was a big thing for me. Every application was totally different. But once I started using patterns, then now I had a consistent style across those applications that I got better at with every application I wrote. Uh, if you have a good pattern, which most are are pretty good patterns, but there's probably some out there that are junk. Um, but if you have a good pattern, it will lead to more organized code because that's the whole idea. When you're just writing your code off the top of your head and you don't have any sort of organizing principle, it's going to naturally lead to a less organized application. And so, again, a good pattern will lead to more organized code. It will also be more modular, so uh, it can be more easily changed and adapted in the future. This is a big thing. This is what, If you ever hear the term spaghetti code, then... This is what people are talking about. It's where you have all these different things or parts of your application that are just interwoven together like spaghetti. Um, you want to avoid that because it makes it more difficult to change and adapt your application in the future. So um, most design patterns will help you make your code more modular so you can easily change it going forward. There's often, as I mentioned, very clear guidelines for writing your code. So uh, you're not just starting from a blank screen with no idea where to start. You have some simple, uh, you have an idea of the way it needs organized uh, to begin with. And so, um, and you have some guidelines that you can follow. And so the last thing is that it helps you avoid the blank screen syndrome where you're just staring at a blank screen and don't know where to start. This will help you avoid that. Uh, all right, so what is MVC then in particular? That's design patterns, but what is the MVC design pattern? Well, it's one of many uh, design patterns that's out there. It just, again, happens to be one of the more popular ones right now. And it stands for Model View Controller. So let's break that down a little bit. The model handles the business logic of the application. Again, these are my definitions you ask 100 developers, you're going to get 100 different answers. So I'm giving you what I know. And there's probably 99 other developers out there that will disagree with the exact worded verbiage here. Again, your life, your business, your way. It's okay. So the model handles the business logic of the application. And to me, it's the core of what the application actually does. So a simple example, 
storing and retrieving data from a database. The model does that. The view and controller really shouldn't do that. Uh, and so the model is about knowledge, it's about information, it's about data, it's about all those things really kind of at the core of what the application is actually doing. So if you have a content management system, it's you know it's storing the, you create a post, it's storing the data about that post in the database. The model is going to do the actual storing in the database, all right? So it's the business logic. The view handles the display of information. So it's how the model is represented visually to the user. Uh, maybe a common way of saying this would be it's the UI or the user interface. So the, the, the view handles that part of it separately from the model, which is important. And then the controller is the link between the user and the ZIS system. So it helps decide, given a certain context, so you know you could be on the home page of a website. That's the context of what's happening at that given time. That's different from if you're on a single post page or if you're on a category listing page if you're on, or if you're not on a CMS altogether. But the controller kind of identifies the context, what's, what's happening, and then it presents the proper views to the user for that particular context. So if you're, on, if you're a, a regular user and not the admin of a, of a CMS, and you're viewing the homepage, you're going to get a particular view, right? Now, if you're the admin and you're on the back end in the post edit screen, you're going to get an entirely different view and you could do different things in that particular view. So the controller helps kind of determine all of that. And it doesn't create the views, but it, it displays the proper view given the context that you happen to be in. So separating it like this allows you to write very specific uh, chunks of code to do very specific things. So the point to me is is the idea of the separation of concerns, which you may have heard me talk about before. Separating concerns out and and kind of chunking them together so that you can you can focus on different areas and different parts do different things and it makes it just more modular. You don't have you don't have views mixed in with business logic that becomes difficult to change as the application grows. And and this is often what you see, and admittedly in my old code. I have no problem saying that. You would see a mixing of display logic with business logic with controller logic. Oftentimes, it's all just a jumbled mess in a lot of applications. And so, again, it makes for a much more difficult to manage application that you will hate very quickly. Now, Keep in mind with this, there's a lot of opinions. As I said, there's a lot of opinions on what MVC is or should be, and you will probably never get it 100% perfect. That's just the reality of it, and that's okay, because striving for that is it's going to make you a better programmer, and it's going to lead to you having more organized code and making it so that you can grow your application uh, without having to go back and do a bunch of rewrites, which is annoying at best okay so that's a little bit on what mvc is now as i mentioned i'm going to link to this is something you're probably going to have to read more on um, you're going to have to kind of you have to start implementing and doing yourself and then go back and do some reading and kind of go back and forth until you get a feel for it but again over on the show notes page johnmorrisonline.com slash 54 i'm going to link you to some resources some some online tutorials the book that i was given 
that really kind of changed the way I approached everything. I'll link to that over there as well to give you some further resources that you can use uh, to help you get MVC down. All right. So again, johnmorrisonline.com slash 54 for the show notes page. You'll be able to get those resources. All right. Coming up next, we're going to be talking writing your service description on Upwork and I'll be covering the 10 questions that you must answer before a client will hire you. So if you're into freelancing, you'll definitely want to stick around for that segment. Of course, after that, we'll jump into our Q&A as well. All right, you're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP Engine. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine, all one word. Check them out. You're going to love your WordPress hosting. Welcome back to the John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris. And in this segment, we're going to be talking a little freelancing and we're going to be talking about writing your Upwork service descriptions. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about the 10 questions you must answer before a client will hire you. These are the things that you want to put put in your service description. These are the questions that your clients are going to have that they need answers to. And so if you want to sell them on your services, put these in your service description. Now, if I were to give you a few word phrase that really sums up this entire thing, it would be this. Assume nothing. To me, this is one of the, the, the most common mistakes that I see fran- freelancers make is that they assume that the client knows X, Y, or Z. And what these 10 questions actually do is they assume nothing. They answer all of the simple little questions that a, a client will have that they need the answers to. Now, not every client is going to have these all of these 10 questions. Some will already know the answers to some of these, but not everyone will, and the ones that they know and don't know will be different from client to client. So you need to make sure that you answer all 10 of them or provide the answers so that when a client is looking for that particular information and has that question, they can find that answer uh, and be much more likely to hire you. And a well-written, comprehensive service descriptions is one of the best things that you can do for yourself on a freelancing site like like Upwork. Know why? Because most developers, most freelancers don't take the time to do it. Go Go on Upwork. See how many service descriptions you'll find that are like a paragraph long or a couple sentences. Now, are you going to spend a couple thousand dollars or couple hundred dollars or fifty hundred dollars an hour on a freelancer who's going to be creating your pet project 
who, when selling themselves, will only take the time to write a couple sentences? Probably not. So, again, simply answering these questions are going to give you, it's just having the volume <laughs> on your service description. You'd be surprised. It shows that you're at least trying. Now, obviously, the better you answer these questions, the better you write them, the more success you're going to have. But just having them there is going to put you ahead of a lot of freelancers. All right, so what are the 10 questions? Well, the first one is, who are you? It's pretty simple. Now, that's not just your name. You don't say, hey, I'm John Morris. But you give a little information about yourself that's relevant to what they might be after. Again, we go back to the big picture. You should be targeting a specific niche. So you should have a good idea of what they're trying to hire you to do. And so you should know what things about you are relevant to that. Okay. So again, I targeted the niche of building membership sites. And so I knew people that were looking to hire me that I wanted as clients. We're going to have uh, questions related to membership sites. So everything I did was tailored to that. So for me, I would say, hey, my name is John Morris. I'm a freelance web developer of 10 plus years from Iowa. I am the certified instructor for the Wishlist Member Certified Developers Program, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Freelance developer, 10 plus years. That matters, right? You want someone who has experience. The lead instructor for the Wishlist Member Certified Developers Program, meaning I taught all of the other developers out there that were certified to work on these particular types of membership sites. I was the teacher that taught all of them. And people in that community knew what our Certified Developers Program was. So that was relevant to them. But I'm just telling them who I am. So I'm giving them a little information about myself. So that's what you want to do. Who are you? Next, what do you do? And really what this question is, is what do you specialize in? That's what it should be. And so when you answer, what do you do? It's not, I know PHP, HTML, and CSS. It's, I build membership sites with WordPress and Wishlist member. Okay. And that's, that's quite literally what I said is I build uh, membership sites with WordPress and Wishlist member. And then I would add this little caveat and I bring the unique advantage of having worked with on some of the top membership sites out there. So I have some marketing knowledge that I can bring to the mix as well. Okay. So what do you do? And if you can, what, what makes you a little bit unique from all of the other developers out there that do the same thing you do or the freelancers that do the same thing you do? Next, what work have you done in the past? So you're going you're going to have your testimonials, your portfolio, etc. But you still want to I believe that you should put this in your service description. You should put it in multiple places because you can't assume that they're going to look at your portfolio. They may not. And so after I said what he, uh, talked about what I did, then I would get into what work have I done in the past. So I would just have a simple line. I've built membership sites for people like Lewis Howes, um, Inc. Magazine, uh, Ray Edwards, and regular mom and pop shops, you know, as well, right? Something along those lines. I would talk about some of the big name projects that I've done and then also mention that I've done it for just regular people uh, and, and, and talk a little bit about that work that I've done in the past so that 
And yeah, it's kind of name dropping a little bit, but you you, you got to do it. You got to do it. Don't. It's not. You, you're selling your services. People are going to want to know. I got so much work from those other projects that I worked on. You need to leverage those. So talk about the work that you've done in the past. However, that comes out best for you. What do past clients think of your work? So you could inject some testimonials at this point. Again, you're going to have these. On Upwork, you're going to have a place for these to go, but you want to put them in multiple places. So you could maybe put in a few testimonials at that point uh, and, and plug those in. If you don't have those, you don't have those. I mean, that is what it is. But you need to, as you um, uh, work with clients, you need to get testimonials and you need to put those in a place where prospective clients can find them easily. Next, what are the benefits of your services? So this is really where you want to hammer the uniqueness of what you offer. So for me, I would highlight the fact that I was the lead instructor for the certified developers program and the fact that you know I worked with the company that wrote the software. I helped write some of the API for the software uh, and that I've also worked on some pretty big name launches and so have some marketing insights from having done that. Those are all things that are unique to me that are a benefit to the uh, prospective client. And you need to connect it. You don't just say those things. You connect it and say, so because I've, I've worked on the API, because I was the certified lead instructor for the certified developers program, because I've worked with the actual creators of the software, I know the software in and out. You're not getting someone who's going off a of guesswork or is going to go through a crash course to try and learn it. I've been working with it for years. I've helped write some of the code. I've taught it to other people already. I know this software in and out. So you're getting the most experienced person that you can get when it comes to this software. That's a benefit, right? You can't deny that. And so that's the type of thing that you want to try and do. What makes you unique with the services that you offer? Next up, how much does it cost? So you guys got to lay out your pricing. Again, you know, you may offer several packages. That's fine. If not, if that's fine too. You just need to say, state exactly how much it is. They're going to want to know that. So just state that whether it's hourly or by project or whatever. Next, how is it delivered? And so you want to just walk through a little bit of the process of, of how you work. So for me, I would always describe a little bit that if they decide to go with me, then the first thing that'll happen is we'll have a you know we'll have a one-on-one -on -one phone call. I'll get an idea of what it is that they're after, you know what, you know what's important to them and so forth. And then usually I was building sites from scratch. So I, then from there I would tell them then I'll make up some mockups. You know we'll go back and forth on the mockups until we get approved mockups. Then I'll build the site. Then you'll be able to go in and work with the site and mess with the site. So I'll be on my servers and then. Once you've kind of checked off on everything, then I'll upload and set it up wherever you want uh, on the web. And then at that point, you know, we'll be done. And I give you uh, 60, it was 60 days of where I can come back and do kind of minor updates or if something breaks or whatever, I'll come back in for free and, and fix it up. All right. So whatever that is for you, you need to explain that you need to, it, it makes them feel more comfortable that you actually have a plan for how you're going to deliver and they know what to expect. Fear of the unknown is the biggest thing you're dealing with here. So the more you can tell them, the better. Next, how are payments made? So 
again, I w- I this worked in conjunction with how I delivered. So they would pay 10% up front, non-refundable. That was basically earnest money so that I knew I was dealing with someone serious. I wouldn't start any work until that happened. Then it was 60% once we had, I'd actually built the site and they could play with it on my servers. And then uh, they would, before I would upload it to their servers, I got another 60%. And then the last 30% was after I set it up on their site and they'd been through everything and they're like, okay, we're good to go. You know, everything looks good. Then you send that last payment of 30%. Now I did that specifically to cut down on the amount of times that I would basically get screwed over. Um, so I knew that I was getting at least 70, 70% of the fee that I charged before they ever got any of the, the code that I was working on. I recommend you doing something very, very similar to that. But whatever you decide, you need to lay that out. How are payments made? Next, what if something goes wrong? So again, I kind of already talked about this, but I, I usually gave my clients 60 days of basically, it, it wasn't add-on features. It was just basically bug fixes or implementation issues or whatever, question answering. I'd give them 60 days where they could go through everything, make sure everything worked how they wanted, see if they found any bugs or whatever, and I would deal with it for free, uh, fix it all for free, all right? So that that's the big thing. Now you can also cover what if something goes like really wrong and we have an issue. And normally I would just go by whatever part of the process I was in. So if they had, you know, we were going through the mock-ups and things didn't work out and we decided, you know what, we don't want to do this anymore. Well, you don't owe me anything because I haven't delivered anything to you. So you don't owe me that 60%, but that non-refundable fee of 10%, that, that's non-refundable. Right. So that's what happens there. If I deliver the stuff and there were some implementation issues and we couldn't connect or whatever, then, you know, that last 30 percent, that's essentially what that's for. You know, if, if for some reason we can't get on the same page with after I have put it on your servers and we're trying to implement stuff, then, you know, hey, you don't owe me that last 30 percent. But I still wrote it and delivered it to you. Um, and so, you know, the the 70 percent before that's it's not refundable. All right, so you just cover that. Whatever policy you want to come up with, you cover what it is so that they know. And then finally, the biggest thing, the thing that probably a lot of people miss is how do I get started? What do I do to get in contact with you? Again, don't assume that they know how to use Upwork or Freelancer or whatever site that you happen to be on or on your own website that they know what to do. I don't assume. Explain to them in detail what they need to do in order to get started. All right, so that's hot and heavy. Those are the 10 questions that you must answer. You can go back through this and listen to this. Also, I actually wrote a full post on this over on LinkedIn. Uh, the link is really long and convoluted, but if you go to johnmorrisonline.com 54 to the show notes page, then I will have a link to that long post that I wrote, and you can maybe go through it more one by one as you're writing your service description uh, and, and get your service description written that way. I can promise you, if you do this, if you answer these questions, you're going to be a lot more likely to get hired on a freelancer site simply because nobody else is doing it or very few other people are doing it and doing it this in depth. All right. All right. Coming up next, we're going to be diving into our q and I have several different questions that I've been asked over the past week that I want to get to. Uh, so we're going to be wrapping that up in our Q&A section. If you ask me a question over on YouTube or Twitter or one of the various places and you're wondering what the answer is, you want to stay tuned for that section because I'm probably going to answer it there. 
All right, that's what's coming up next. You're listening to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. Here's a quick one for you. We all know how important creating blog content is to attract new clients to your web design business. But oftentimes, those first few members of your audience can be difficult to get. Well, I want to help try and get you over that hump and help you get your first few followers. Now, I have an audience of over 20,000 YouTube subscribers, email list subscribers, and roughly 30,000 visitors to my website each and every month. And I'd have no problem promoting your website to that audience and helping you get those first few visitors. Now, to get the details on this, you'll have to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity, but you'll need to do it before you actually start your blog. So head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity and let me help you get those first few visitors and those first few members of your audience. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. I am your host, John Morris. In this segment, we're going to dive into a little Q&A. So these are questions that I've gotten over on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, etc., now, before I get into the questions, if you have a question for me, you can ask me over at youtube.com slash John Morris video, on Twitter at JP Morris, or you can simply shoot me an email at john at johnmorrisonline.com, and I will try to answer your question on the show as best I can. Now, sometimes they're really, really technical questions, which is hard to answer in this type of format. So just know if you're asking me a really technical question, it's probably not going to make it on the show, but I'll do my best to either answer an email if I can or wherever you happen to be sending it to me or do a tutorial or something along those lines. All right. But again, if you have a question, you can uh, find me at all those different places. All right. So let's go into the questions that I've got so far. The first one is, are your tutorials still relevant after X number of years? So could be two years, could be four years, whatever. And this is this is actually a really good question because I have tutorials that I've put online several years ago, and actually the videos were recorded even you know before that. So I have some tutorials I put online maybe two or three years ago that were actually recorded you know a year or two even before that, and that was because they're part of a paid course I did that. Uh, there were parts of them that did become obsolete, and so I put them on YouTube because there were still large chunks of them that are 100% relevant. So that's kind of the answer to the question is yes and no. Most of the parts of most of the, of the tutorials that I have online are still relevant, but there are things that aren't. So you know, for example, in my Beginner's Guide to PHP over on YouTube, most of that course is still relevant. If else and switch still work the same way that they worked five years ago. Echo still works the same way it worked five years ago. Writing custom functions is still as the same as it was five years ago. Those things haven't necessarily changed. You know, the operators for the most part uh, are are still the same. However, things like MySQL, right? You'll see me in some of those older videos using MySQL. Why? Well, because my SQLi and PDO didn't exist at that time. So that's what there was. That's why those tutorials do that. So there are things, and of course, that makes those parts irrelevant or obsolete. Now, most of the stuff, I haven't necessarily gone in 
to those individual videos and updated them. But I have created new tutorials where I've tried to update those things. And so, yeah, you're going to kind of have to go through it a little bit and figure out what's what. Most of the stuff that's not relevant, you'll probably already know. I don't know how many times I get people who go through something I do on my sequel from you know five or six years ago and say, well, aren't we supposed to be using MySQLi now? Yes. Yes, we are. It just that when that tutorial was recreated, that stuff didn't exist. So it's usually pretty obvious stuff like that, that you'll know, you'll be like, wait a second, shouldn't this be something different? And most likely the answer is probably yes. And if you look around, you'll probably find like MySQLi. I have a whole new series of tutorials on MySQLi and PDO over on my channel. So you can find those. All right. So yeah, you're going to have to pay attention to that a little bit, but most of the tutorials are still relevant. Next, what books do you recommend for programming? The truth is I don't generally recommend books for programming. There are a few, and I'll get to those in a minute, but I've tried to go through books, and I have just personally found it very, very difficult. I normally recommend video tutorials, and you, you probably have heard me a number of times recommend courses over on Udemy and so forth. That's what I recommend as opposed to books. I just have never been a person who's been able to get through coding books, uh, and I don't know a ton of people who have either. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that exist that have, and those might be the people to ask if you're really looking for books. But if you're asking me, uh, I'm going to point you towards more video tutorials. However, there are a couple exceptions. There's two exceptions, actually. There is the Design Patterns book that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, is a actually a really well put together book and isn't just horrible reading like a lot of coding books are. And so that's one book that I recommend. Again, johnmorrisonline.com slash 54. That's the show notes page. I'll be sure to look link to that book over there if you're looking for the link to that. Also, there is professional web development, uh, WordPress pro professional web development, uh, a book that was written by some WordPress developers, some really well-known and respected WordPress developers. If you're doing WordPress development, then I, I would recommend reading that book. Again, mainly because there's not a video form of it, and so there's no video to watch, and it's just, it's so good. There's so much good information in it that I would be remiss not recommending it. So if you're doing WordPress then I would recommend the book. Again, show notes page, seanmorrisonline.com slash 54 for the link to that. Next, how can I make a drop-down menu with more links in the drop-down? So this was on a, a tutorial I did on web design. What I would say is uh, go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash video. I'll find the tutorial, link to it on the show notes page, seanmorrisonline.com slash 54. But I have a tutorial where I go over menu specifically and uh, I'm 99.9% .9 sure I cover drop-down menu. If not, I'll look through the video, and if not, I'll link you to some tutorials on creating a drop-down menu. Bootstrap has some built-in stuff for doing drop-down menus, but essentially the, the basic gist of it is you're going to create an unordered list, and then inside one of your list items, you're going to embed an unordered list inside of that list item that will then have your nest your second level 
list items inside of it. So you're you're basically nesting an unordered list inside of a list item. That's what makes it so that you have your menu across the top with all your list items there, and then you click one of those, and it brings up a drop-down menu with more list items in it. That's, a again, an unordered list embedded inside of that particular list item. So, again, I'll link to some tutorials for you over on johnmorrisonline.com slash 54 for that. Uh, final question then, with a CMS, can I make the post URL display the title and not the ID? And then the, again, the answer is yes. Um, you know, WordPress, this is something WordPress does with its permalinks system that it uses. So you definitely can do that. Um, now, the way to do that, there's probably a number of different ways that, that you can. What WordPress does is uh, it, it has a series of rewrite rules. And this is you're gonna a combination of HT access and regex and so forth to make this all work. But essentially what happens is when you visit let's say wordpress.com slash, you know, this po this dash post, right? WordPress captures uh, that URL and, and breaks down that slug, the, the URL to find kind of the page slug, which would be this dash post. And it, it has a number of rewrite rules that it checks against to see if there's a pattern that's matched. And then it turns that, it basically turns that URL into a query type url so where it would be like uh po post title equals this dash post or whatever it actually is but it's kind of a maybe a little complicated if you're if you're new to this kind of thing but there's a bunch of rewrite rules which are essentially regex uh, rules that wordpress checks against uh, in order to check the urls it captures them all and then figure out what post it's supposed to play display so you can do that. Uh, again, something I'm not going to be able to necessarily <laughs> describe very well, as you probably just noticed, uh, in this particular format. But again, and uh, and look, I get people who tell me, "Oh, you link to the show notes page." Well, you know, uh, the this video is misleading or whatever because you're linking some. Look, I can't, I can't in this format show you how to do it. So I have to link you somewhere. And the best way to centralize all of this is with the show notes page, okay? So let's calm down a little bit. I'm not trying to do some sort of shady thing. It's just, the. I mean, what else What else can I do here, okay? So again, if you go over to johnmorrisonline.com slash 54, that's the show notes page. There's several tutorials that I can link you to that will show you how to do this kind of thing. Well, at least I'll show you how WordPress does it and then you can adapt it from there. I don't know that I've seen an actual explicit tutorial on how to do that specifically, okay? I'll try and find one, and if I can, I'll post it there as well. All right, so those that's the, the, the questions that I've gotten for this week. Hopefully, if you had one of those questions or had similar question, that helped answer your question. Again, if you have something you'd like to ask me specifically, you can email me, john at johnmorrisonline.com. You can leave me a comment over on YouTube at youtube.com slash video, or you can tweet me at jpmorris, and I will do my best to answer your question. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for the show. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, shoot me an email at john at johnmorrisonline.com. And if you like the show, I would really, really appreciate it if you give it a like. 
and share it with the communities and people that you think will benefit. I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Finally, you can always find all my tutorials, podcast episodes, and more on johnmorrisonline.com, at jpmorris on Twitter, and on youtube.com slash johnmorrisvideo. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Ebates, where you can earn cash back on your online purchases from major retailers like Amazon, eBay, Walmart.com, and more. John Morris Show listeners can get your free account by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash ebates.